Welcome to your number one source for technological innovations, ideas, and strategies for your business. Multiply your business's equations and put the odds in your favor. Now, live from Club ITHQ with your hosts, Ben and Sam, this is Tech Factor. Okay, welcome everyone. I'm Ben. And I'm Sam. And this is The, the Tech, Tech Factor. Factor. There we go, much easier. Welcome to episode 16 of The Tech Factor. This is a podcast about driving businesses' productivity and innovation utilizing technology. So today's episode is all about wirelessly linking uh, two sites up. So if you basically need to link up two locations, how do you go about it? Let's talk about the technology. Why would you do that for starters? Uh, so let's talk about the uses as well. And and let's just get stuck straight into it. So I guess really, uh, let's talk about the why. That's probably the, the, the first step for that. So I mean, wh- why would you use a wireless link? Give us some examples, Sam. Of yeah, what I, use a wireless I, link I for. suppose where it's not always possible to use a physical link and where's uh, physical links may be either much more expensive or much harder to do depending on what kind of situation you're in. Let's say you're on a farm and you want to be able to access uh, something from one side of your farm to the other. Physical links just may not be possible in those situations. Yeah, exactly. So I guess, I mean, distance is is a key factor. Uh, and then just the, obviously cost can also be quite prohibitive. So if you wanted to talk about warehouses or farms or, or sort of large sites where you, you're trying to establish wireless connection, or even if it's completely across the other side of town, it's obviously, you know, if you want to establish a connection across the other side of town, uh, you're not going to be ripping up the roads and digging your own trenches and, and you know, running your own cables. So uh, and, it, and even if you uh, go through a pro, uh, provider that provides fiber uh, connectivity, you could be talking in the you know hundreds of thousands of dollars for setup, uh, tens of thousands of dollars, or even even more. And then the actual connectivity itself could be ongoing at eight hundred or a thousand dollars a month. So uh, wireless links are very attractive in in that regard because if you can do it right and you can do it properly, you won't have any of that uh, ongoing capital uh, cost. As well, not so much. Um, you'll have some maintenance costs, but effectively you'll have no uh, cost part after the capital cost. And you can deliver uh, similar capacity. So uh, again, if we're talking about linking uh, multiple sites, whether that be for network connectivity, um, the other benefit is obviously you could share internet connectivity. So one of the great things about our our, uh, our MBN is that sometimes it's not all that great. And uh, <laughs> wireless links are proven extremely popular to provide internet connectivity where MBN cannot or where MBN is providing uh, unsatisfactory connectivity, uh, it's uh, a wireless link will enable you to actually you know, provide substantial connectivity. So if you've got a site across the other side of town that can get uh, a full fiber connection and a hundred meg uh, connection uh, of data, uh, so hundred meg uh, connection, and maybe the site across you know a couple of kilometers away can't you know, can barely get you know pull you know ten or twenty meg, which unfortunately is very common, uh, then a wireless link may be the option for that. So in those types of scenarios, a wireless link can be very useful. Uh, what are some other scenarios? Is there anything else we haven't discussed of why you might do something like this? Yeah, I suppose it just comes into like, you know, you, you might be able to save yourself some coin. Um, if you have two buildings that are reasonably close together, why pay for two different internet connections? Chuck a couple of wireless links on the roof and you can just share one internet connection. 
Um, from an IT point of view as well, it could be really easy for management of the IT systems. You can just have it, um, everyone running off one uh, Active Directory server and uh, be leasing uh, IP addresses through one DHCP server across multiple sites. So also the management side of it can be much easier as well. That's right. And then the other thing uh, that they're often used for, so for example, you might have a, a workshed that might be a kilometre or two away and maybe you need to keep an eye on it. So maybe there might be some CCTV or some other monitoring or, or security systems that may require internet connectivity or may require a network connectivity. So in those scenarios, having a, a physical wireless link uh, makes a lot of sense and particularly... As I said, where fiber uh, or just physically ripping up the ground just isn't a practical option or isn't something you can you can do in, in a lot of scenarios, certainly in urban environments, that will be a struggle. So uh, wireless links uh, play their role there as well. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, technology. And um, right, so the technology, and that was, <laughs> let me try that again. There we go. There we go. Technology. Okay, so the technology, essentially, there's a whole bunch of unlicensed spectrums is the simplest way to deliver a wireless link. You can get licensed spectrums that naturally require a license, and that's done federally through the ACMA these days. Uh, and, you know, if, it's, if that spectrum is licensed to a major carrier, good, good luck. So the best option typically is to use some of the unlicensed spectrums. And if you do it properly and you design the solution properly, there's no reason why you won't have too much interference and you can manage it appropriately. So because the, the great news about the unlicensed stuff is you can get stuff in the 2 gigahertz, 2.4 gigahertz, 5 gigahertz, 24, 60 gigahertz, um, I think there's a few other frequencies as well. Even there's some sub-1,000 megahertz frequencies that are also unlicensed that you can legally uh, smash your bandwidth through. So there's a whole bunch of uh, frequencies that you can utilize that are unlicensed that enable you to establish uh, a reliable link. And uh, again, it depending, it really, in terms of the technology, it'll greatly come down to what you're trying to achieve. Because it, again, with those different frequencies, and um, I won't, we won't be doing a session today on, on RF and how it works, but effectively, uh, there are advantages of having a lower frequency. Uh, and conversely, there are advantages of having a higher frequency. Typically, the higher frequencies are generally associated with more bandwidth, depending on the a whole bunch of factors in the protocol and the designs of the system, but typically speaking, the higher the frequency, the more of a chance you're able to push more data through that frequency because you've effectively got a higher wavelength. So over that same period of time of that wave, you can put more stuff through it in the simplest way to explain it. So a higher frequency does allow us to push more data uh, through it. Uh, there are a whole, whole bunch of downsides, but and the downsides are that a higher frequency is far more likely to die off than a lower frequency in terms of how far it can physically travel, which is why we're seeing now with with the new 5G networks, they're installing all these micro nodes every 500 meters because effectively they're um, oh, not necessarily always 500 meters, but it could be 500, it could be a kilometer or whatever. But the micro nodes, the pure purpose of that is uh, because if you want to deliver that full 5G frequency, you need to have a lot more of these nodes in and about uh, because otherwise the signal just won't get that far. So it's, it's kind of contrary to the uh, to all the conspiracy theories that higher frequencies actually have you know doesn't is not as strong. So um, you know I think they should be more worried about other things than uh, necessarily five G. Which, by the way, five G stands for five generation and not five gigahertz. So 
that's something also to keep in mind. It's I think the frequency is two point seven or two point three or something. I think from memory. So, uh, so it doesn't actually run at five gigahertz, and you shouldn't confuse that with your modem, which your modem might say five G, and that might be a five gigahertz uh, connectivity. It's a whole other story. But reality of it is, there's a whole bunch of frequencies and a whole bunch of stuff you can use, and it depends on your application. So I, I guess let's let's talk a little bit about that and about some examples of where you might use different technologies and different scenarios. So if I, for example, uh, was linking up two sites, I've got a, a site A, site B, maybe it's a university or maybe it's a business where you've got two different sites and they're only separated by maybe 500, maybe, maybe yeah, maybe let's say 500 meters, for example, um, but we want to pump a lot of bandwidth through it. Uh, that's where a solution like the 60 gigahertz solution will be quite useful because it's designed to operate quite reliably within 500 meters and it can deliver a you know, gigabit worth of bandwidth and in some cases less than a millisecond latency. So in that type of scenario, that type of technology will work really well. On the other hand, if you're looking at a, a longer link uh, and maybe you go, okay, well, we need to, you know, we've got a remote site that's a, let's say it's five kilometers away, a remote site five kilometers away. And we've got a, a bunch of computers. So it's like a satellite site, right? So you might have a few computers, some network stuff, uh, but you don't necessarily need to pump a one gigabits uh, bandwidth down there. We can look at maybe something in the five gigahertz spectrum that might deliver you, say, 450 meg of bandwidth. And in that scenario, uh, you could deliver a, quite a reliable signal from that five-kilometer uh, five range or even up to 15 kilometers uh, and that might work perfectly fine at five gigahertz. So it depends upon the applications uh, and how, you, you know, essentially what technology may you may apply. I'm not sure if you want to add in there that, Sam. But Yeah, I think it very much just comes down to, which we will go on more about shortly, but comes down to that site surveying planning and planning um, and just choosing what technology you need for your application. You know, it, it does definitely come down to a lot of distance, what kind of other interference you might come in the area, depending how urban you are. And yeah, it just comes down to that site survey and planning. Yeah, exactly. So let's move on to that. Let's move on to how. There we go. I'm getting better at that. So how? Uh, the vast, Look, as, as we've kind of hinted on, um, the vast majority of it 100% relies on planning. So a wireless link is about 90% planning and probably 10% installation. The installation parts, generally speaking, if you've done all the planning, is actually pretty quick and easy. So uh, depending on the scale of the installation, of course, but if it's just a, a single point-to-point link or maybe it's point-to-multi-point where you're linking maybe one site to two sites, the installation won't actually be too bad. It's more about the planning and getting that aspect right. And that aspect's... Uh, can be quite complicated. So, you know, if you're in a regional area uh, and you're doing a single point-to-point link, you can probably get away with trying to figure out the technology, what hardware you need to plug it up, and you should be able to configure it. Systems like Ubiquiti are quite user-friendly, and you can, in a simple scenario, will be able to kind of figure that stuff out. So um, Ubiquiti have a website called, um, if you go link.ui.com, it brings up a um, basically a Google Maps and you can go through and you can try to figure out essentially put your two locations in there and try to figure out basically how you would go about it. Uh, when it comes when it comes a little bit more complicated and 
you know, and particularly, look, if it's if it's going to be a, a business link, it's going to be mission critical. I would strongly suggest uh, suggest actually getting a consultant in because the other aspect to it is not just about well, what is the distance, and then therefore what is the hardware. It's also about um, the site survey really comes into the play when we talk to talk about things like obviously interference. So you know, it's one thing to say, oh, we'll use this hardware, but if there's a whole bunch of other stuff on the five gigahertz train, for example, you might go, well, look. We can't do it that way or we're going to need to use uh, this type of antenna because we're going to try and operate within this channel width and we're better off using this type of antenna design uh, to get that type of bandwidth that we need. So there's a there's a whole bunch of considerations there. Uh, you know, look, and there is a rule. I mean, you know, the higher up you go, the probably the easier it is, right? So if you've got a hmm. 50 or 100 tower or something stupid, uh, it's pretty easy to link the site because you're literally going to have perfect line of sight. But... The higher up you go, the more restrictions and the more challenges you're going to have. So if I, um, for example, so, um, and this is the other this is the other thing as well. So if you're doing really long links, often what you need to do is you need to find the highest point because you, you might have, say, um, like where we are right now. So we're in a pretty high spot, which is, which is kind of good. It means we're not going to die of climate change anytime soon. But um, the, the other benefit to it is that if we did need to establish a link, you know, it, it, it would be all right. But if we need to establish a link over the other side of the hill, we may have to find, for example, a tower. We might have to go try and look at some council infrastructure. We might try and find a water tower because generally the water towers are normally on the highest point geographically. So you'll try and find a, a water tower somewhere and go, okay, if we get to hit that water tower, we should then be able to get over the hill to then get to the other location. So that means that basically you've got what's there is a, a point to multi-point location where you've got a the one on the on the uh, water tower, for example, acting as an access point, and the two on either side of that hill is acting as a, um, a station. So it's a it's basic triangulation. Uh, and again, when I say basic triangulation, it, again, this wouldn't be something you just go down, yeah, you know, or just go online and go jump on eBay. I'll buy this hardware and I'll set it up. She'll be right. In in those types of scenarios, obviously, it does require planning. And obviously, if you're going down that path, you may need licenses. Uh, you'll certainly need, at the very least, a you know work safe um, work safe method and some you know some basic HRE things and tick some license boxes. And you'll also need to come up with leasing arrangements with whoever you end up leasing that space off. So again, if it's a water tower, it might be local council. You might lease some space off. There may be a um, again, there may be a, a private um, private land that someone might own, and they might go, yeah, you can put a you link up here, no problems. Uh, so there are plenty of arrangements like that that do occur. So, you know, the, that is um, quite a common scenario. But again, really, uh, the vast majority of how you do a wireless link, it comes down to the planning. And if you can get a link, if you can get something tall enough, you can generally link the sites. It, so most of these technologies that are now available, um, they're what's called near line of sight. So a near line of sight means that if you pretty much can get it pointing at each other, give or take a few degrees here and there, or if there's maybe a small tree in the road or something else, it's generally going to um, it's generally going to work uh, and it's going to be reasonably well established. The, they have a level of um, interference tolerance, a reasonable level of interference tolerance for that matter. So in most scenarios, near line of sight, you will be able to establish a link. Beyond that, you need to get some bit more serious planning. And, and figure out how you're going to, uh, going to achieve that link. And just adding on to that, Ben, and just also with that interference stuff, you do have to look into when you're doing your planning is what kind of 
redundancy you might be putting into it. So is this link going to be the only link between your businesses and what happens if that interference gets too great or whether a big storm comes through and knocks it off its perch or you just got that does come into the planning part of things and that can be whether it's another separate uh, wireless link or um, a physical link or just an NBN connection. Yeah, or, or a 4G connection as well. So you could have a 4G as a backup yeah. uh, to establish between the sites. So, yeah, again, uh, understand the objective of the link. So we say, look, if this link is designed to connect a remote site, uh, the remote site goes down for a few hours due to a storm or something, and you go, and that's acceptable, and that's perfectly fine. And then maybe you go, right, well, therefore, we're going to look at a 5 gigahertz solution and, you know, there's a little bit of... Um, downtime is perfectly fine if it's something where it's like this is mission critical must be connected at all times and you're going to have to start to consider your redundancy as well and say well what are what our redundancy measures going to be in place the other thing as well with a lot of these remote links is um you will also need to consider the power redundancy as well so in some scenarios if it's like a um a remote um shed or something like that you may actually need to also consider solar or battery and having some kind of ups in place so that if it um, if, for example, um, because certainly, because what, what we what we find more and more these days as well is that our uh, our networks run everything, right? So they run the phones as well. You know, if you want to have your phones active, well, you're going to need to make sure your wireless link, if it runs the phones, you'll need to have uh, battery backup on that as well. So these are all the things you need to think about. And it really comes down to about what you're going to use the link for and uh, exactly how reliable it's going to be. And there will be a level of maintenance. You're always going to have... If there's storms, uh, inevitably, if there's storms, the reality of it is that you've got these links there. They're up in high places. Uh, it's quite possible that they could uh, get hit by lightning or they could get damaged in a storm. And certainly, it's not uncommon for the uh, the adapters or the systems that power them to go bang. And that's just part of maintenance. So it is, you should anticipate, expect, and be prepared for uh, downtime with a wireless link is by no means a 100% reliable solution. With that said, they, I mean, I've seen plenty of wireless links that, you know, I remember uh, the link with one of those links we got up the coast there on a, on a big tall building there. I remember we got some reports on it. The link was, wasn't performing well. And when I got up to the top of the uh, the building and the tower there, the, it was like hanging off one um, bit of uh, like, I don't know, it was like literally it had the metal bit. The metal bit had rusted off. It had fallen off. Yeah. It was literally just hanging. It was facing almost vertically down just on one cable tie that he was almost ready to fall off the building and just and just go. So lucky there was a cable tie as well as the metal. So the, so the, the, the actual steel, like I think because of the um, – Just the, disintegrated. The, disintegrated but just because of the sea. So like the marine environment had rusted the steel, but good old plastic <laughs> happened to – Survive. Survive. So the, thankfully for the uh, – uh, yeah, the little bit of plastic good actually – cable tie. bit of cable tie actually held it on. And uh, it kept it there. But the link was, it was definitely not aligned. It was way off. And I'm like, I don't know how this is still working. And when I finally got there, you know, I was like, wow, this is still working. So it, they can take a beating and they can seriously, um, they're pretty resilient. Uh, and even if it gets completely offline, it can still sometimes just function. So they are quite resilient. And, uh, you know, so I would still say in terms of reliability, yeah, you could argue it's almost just as reliable as, as a, a physical underground connection, uh, but uh, you know it still will, re will require maintenance, and it still will be something you'll need to manage. So, something to consider. 
yeah, just even in, even the big guys go down. Like you, you will often see on Telstra or Optus, or even in your area or during big storms, or even during fires. Bushfires can be a bit of a, a, a drama for um, wireless links here in Australia. Um, so that's just something to take into consideration. That's right. They will. Uh, the systems are designed to work within certain temperatures, and uh, certainly when you've got a bushfire and it's something's at 100 degrees or something nearby, I don't think it's uh, necessarily going to operate terribly well for terribly long. I think some of the stuff physically gets melted. I think a lot of it is the Some of it's even made out of plastic, so it won't take long just to melt off a pole. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and then really, so yeah, we've talked about that. So really, if you you understand the objectives and you do all your planning, um, the hardware then pretty much becomes an open-shut case because, you know, there's certain hardware that's going to work well in those different scenarios. There's a whole bunch of um, hardware manufacturers. I've I've listed a few here, Microtech, Ubiquiti, Cisco, Motorola, Ericsson. Uh, I've, I've deployed... A whole bunch of these solutions over the years. The Motorola used to have a solution called Canopy, which I think is still an active product line of theirs. But uh, back in the day with Canopy, uh, when we first started deploying Canopy, so it, it was, um, I think we used to get like 10 or 11 meg out of Canopy, uh, but it was super reliable. It would go, you know, a couple of K uh, and um, yeah, no problems. And it was a really good, reliable solution. And again, pretty easy to establish. But, I mean, I remember in terms of the affordability scale, like compared to what Ubiquiti is these days, it's just insane difference in price. Like the same link that you might get, you know, in under 1000 bucks for Ubiquiti was like like 10 times the price for a Motorola back. Yeah, I was going to say 11 meg throughput wouldn't do much these days. Yeah, well, um, but it, it might. So this is the thing, right? This is what we were talking about. So if if maybe if it's just like um, Internet of Things, right? So maybe you've just yeah. got like a serial monitoring device. So something's just literally telling you the temperature of something or it's just – Keeping the eye of like uh, humidity or pressure sensor. You'd probably see that stuff a lot in farms where they just might be moisture. Yeah, yeah, monitoring um, either like their soil or just some of their equipment. Um, That that stuff doesn't need a lot of power. So, you know, using. uh, It doesn't need much bandwidth either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, those things will be work pretty well. It's, It's not until you probably get more into the urban environment of um, buildings and cities and things like that when it probably becomes a little bit more of an issue. Mm. Yeah, so certainly in a, in a regional environment, if you're out west, uh, you could pretty much throw in any of this equipment, right? Like the land's pretty flat and there's not much in between. So it's uh, it's pretty easy to do in that regard and and you could almost, you know, it's kind of crazy all the stuff you could probably get away with out there. Uh, but um, in most scenarios, you're going to need to have a good thing about what you're actually using it for, how much bandwidth you're going to need, and that'll determine... Once you do all this planning work, it'll be pretty straightforward of what hardware you're going to need, where you need, where you need to going to put it, and what other requirements there might be. So it's it's basically 90% planning. So it's 90% planning. You plan it all out. You work out your link. Work out how far it's got to go because, again, that will determine the technology. Work out what you're going to use it for, what the bandwidth requirements are, and uh, what reliability you might need. And that'll pretty much drill down exactly what hardware you're going to require and how you're going to go about it. Uh, and then also just be obviously be certain of any other licensing or other requirements that may be um, also there. So, you know, I mean, I, look, if you're trying to establish a, a connection that's maybe, you know, not machine critical and you go, oh, look, we need to establish between two sites. We've got to go through a water tower. It's going to cost us 10 grand a year to, to lease out the site. You're probably not going to go down that path. It, it'd be one of those things that you go, well, it's not, maybe might not be worth in that scenario. Yeah, you know, your $100 a month NBN connection and a VPN might be a better solution. Than, that, yeah, that's right. You know, it, it does just depend on budget and use case, really. Exactly, exactly. So that's that's really the, the key thing. So once you've 
once you basically figure out what you're using it for and you do all your planning work, the, the rest of it sorts itself out. Uh, but again, like in, in most scenarios, so if you're talking a, a you know, if you're talking something quite simple, talking maybe establishing it. And the other the other scenario we haven't covered today and we haven't talked about, and I'm just going to talk about it briefly, is mesh systems. So when we're talking about a single site, so let's say we have a site that's a as an example, let's say it's say it's a thousand square meters, right? Um, now, when we talk about building a building, we're generally talking about a link that might be a kilometer away, or a couple of kilometers away, ten kilometers, twenty kilometers, even a hundred kilometers away. If if you've got a, a single site where let's say you need to um, have wireless connectivity across the entire site, it is possible to utilize a, a mesh based system, and a mesh based system will allow access points. So this is more your standard type of wireless network that you might see in a business or in a home, allows all these access points to talk to each other. And and in a way, it allows you actually to deliver distance as well um, for your wireless network across the site. So, you know, you can have a, a, a site that might be a 1,000 square meters or even 2,000 square meters, and you can deploy several hundred or might be less than that, depending on the design of the solution. Maybe it's like 50 access points across the site. And that'll deliver wireless connectivity everywhere you go. Um, so it is possible to, you know, connect. And again, if so, if we're talking site to site, but it's all part of the same site, you can still deliver a, a wireless mesh system quite simply and quite easily as well. So that's the other thing to consider. And again, it's an option that uh, does get used quite a bit. Uh, wireless mesh systems, where you can put stuff on cable, you want to try to put it on cable. So. The last thing you want to do with a wireless mesh system, just as a bit of a word of advice, let's say, because they advertise you can do all this stuff and all, and you just plug them up and they'll talk to each other. But the reality of it is you want to have any mesh system, you want to have multiple points of connectivity. So what I mean by that is you want to have multiple access points uh, that are physically connected back to the network via cable because that means that when all these access points talk to each other, they've got multiple ways that they can get back to the actual network. Because if you've got, say, 20 access points and only one's cabled in, then it means they've all got to go back through that single access point. All that connectivity, all that bandwidth is going to be bottlenecked by one access point and it's going to slow the entire wireless network down. It's just not going to function. So, And it also increases your chances of failure as well. If there is only one, one way back and that link does go down, then all of them go down. And also something to take into note is that the more wireless jumps you do between access points, the more t- inc- um, latency you're increasing and probably lowering your throughput. That's right, exactly. So that's a, it's a, going to be a massive issue with performance. So the generally, so, so prior to uh, the new generation of Ubiquiti stuff, they, when, uh, just to give an example, so with the, uh, the initial, the first gen of wireless gear, uh, the outdoor stuff in particular, when you set it up, it only would allow you to uh, configure the access points on a one-to-four ratio. So every access point that was cabled, they would allow you to do uh, four uh, actual, I guess you could say, non-cabled access points. They would then talk back to that one. And they, that was actually embedded into the system. And I know that there are other manufacturers that have done similar things in the past where they say, right, well, you can only do that. And they do that not necessarily, again, from a capability point of view, you could make them all talk to each other, which is what all the technology does now. But from a bandwidth point of view, it you know again that's something. You, it's probably a good ratio to still keep in the back of your head. If you're going to deploy twenty access points, it's probably still a good idea to have you know five of them connected via cable. I, I still think that's a good practice. I, and 
there may be scenarios where you might not necessarily do that or might not need to do that, but it is something to keep in mind. And that all goes back to that, you know, understanding your application and what you're trying to achieve in the first place. And that will determine really what type of hardware uh, that you're going to need. Yeah, and I think that basically just wraps that up there, Ben. All right, so let's sum up. All right, so summing up, uh, establish your wireless, how to establish a wireless link between two sites. So basically, uh, you plan it out, you work out what you need. So understand, first and foremost, the uh, the objectives of the link. So what are we trying to do? Is it mission critical? How much bandwidth are we going to need? How far does it need to go? You know, And then also get an idea of the planning side. So look at the interference, try and figure out what type of uh, frequency may be required. Again, if you're not 100% confident on that, then you might want to get a, a um, consultant involved, someone like Club IT naturally, to help out that type of thing. But if you see it's a simple link, you might want to have a crack at it yourself. And then, uh, you know, once you've done the planning, it'll generally then spell out what type of hardware that you're going to need. So once you know how far it is, how much bandwidth you're going to need, whether it's mission critical, so what type of redundancy you might need, it's going to make the hardware pretty straightforward. You'll be able to figure out what hardware you need based on that. And there are link designing software and solutions out there that can help you determine that. So you do that, you do the installation, and then just the other thing to consider is your ongoing maintenance. So you will need to maintain the system ongoing because inevitably there will be storms, there will be power issues, particularly in Australia. We have always power issues. uh, So you've got to be aware of that and make sure you've got some basics in place just to to manage that. And um, that effectively allows you to establish a link between multiple sites and often it'll be much cheaper than it'll pretty much always be cheaper than, than doing a fiber link and uh, certainly cheaper on, ongoing as well. Generally, the cost of a fiber link ongoing can be quite expensive. So if you can do it this way and if you can do it in a reliable manner, it's it's always a great option and it's something uh, to consider. Any other thoughts wrapping up before we wrap up, Sam? No, pretty much you've nailed it on the head there, Ben. There's so many different reasons why you would want a wireless link. And yeah, it's all, it's all in the planning pretty much. All in the planning. So plan it out, do a good job planning, and you can literally just uh, plug and play in theory. But if you do get stuck, there's always Club IT. So that's it for today. I'm Ben. And I'm Sam. And we'll see you guys next time. Thank you.